everybody. This is Jackie here with the Sexy Politico. Thank you for uh, thank you for keeping up with us as uh, we move more to a monthly format as opposed to a weekly format. So this month we have we have Brandon J.P. Scott, better known on the great wide web as Excessive. Now, Brandon, just so that so that you know, is a former contributor to the sexypolitico.com. He has a computer science degree in engineering, well, and an MBA at the University of Michigan. He's been involved with crypto for the last seven years. He has four different startups. Three of them did involve crypto and have contributed source code in crypto. And I don't know what all these words mean, but I'm sure he will explain them to us in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Maker Compound, and is Uniswap the correct way to pronounce that? You got it, close enough. Oh, awesome, awesome. So Brandon is here to explain to me because I'm not going to pretend like I know anything other than about Bitcoin and NFTs, other than what I've heard from Gary V and one episode of My Drunk Kitchen, and uh, so let's so let's just get started. So Brandon, should we start with crypto or NFTs? What what do you think is so, the better way to start with? So you always want to start. You, you can't talk about NFTs without talking about crypto, and you can't really okay. talk about crypto without talking about uh, money and knowing what money really is. So the first thing that I always like to do with people when they when I get them involved in crypto is I like to get, get a baseline of who I'm talking to. So tell me and tell your audience, what do you know so far about crypto? Well, the one episode of My Drunk Kitchen I watched, I am, I'm going to be honest, it was a 2014 episode of My Drunk Kitchen where Hannah Hart drunkenly explains that drunkenly explains what crypto is and it just it's like it's online money but it doesn't seem real but it's probably it's probably the same way people used to think about credit cards back in back in the oldie days so and I'm just sounding like an old fogey oh, what do they call what do they call me now oh yeah elder millennial so oh how wise of you oh okay so then when you think of like when NFT, you've heard all this hype, especially from Gary Vee, love that guy. Um, what has he described an NFT as to you guys? Because he's usually a great explainer of these kinds of things, you know? It, so it's sort of like, I guess you own part or the entirety of something, but it's like online. But then when my, when my husband's talking to me about it, it's like, I'm like, so could you own the NFT of the Mona Lisa? He's like, He's like, yeah, but I'm like, does that mean you own the Mona Lisa? He's like, well, yeah, you own the Mona Lisa. It's like, so I could have the Mona Lisa in my house. Then what's the point of the NFT? It's like, it, it's like, I don't, yeah. it's. Sure, that's a, that's a part, that's a spot that people usually run into an issue is when we start describing NFTs in the space as something that can relate to like real world items, people start to get confused in that very regard. They say, you know, well, if I can have the Mona Lisa, why do I need this? document here um, and a good way to just point that in that direction is I own my house and I live in my house but how do I prove that I own my house I have a contract of sorts yeah uh, a land contract a housing contract or whatever the reason that I don't live in or I don't own this house but I live here and can prove it is because of a rent contract cryptocurrency is in general a contractual agreement for money to be exchanged that cannot be uh, edited by either party so they come together and they say to each other, I agree to give you $10. And you say, okay, 
I agree to you in exchange for that, give you that on this item that we have this candle behind you that's uh, flickering. And that goes written onto a ledger, which all banks have. A ledger is just a list of transactions that, are, uh, that have happened in the world. And everybody in the world knows that you agreed to do that. So there's no way that you can back out of the contract. If you want to change the contract, you have to tell everyone in the world at the same time. Uh, but that is a little bit farther ahead of than what I wanted to describe at first. Really, in order to understand cryptocurrency, you have to understand what money is and at a greater level, what debt really is to society. So money is, uh, at its root, money is a debt agreement between the bank and yourself. They say, here is this coin. We owe you a representation of this amount of coin. You can exchange this between people for goods and items. And then they sit the prices are set on that money between the different people, but it's always a debt contract between you and the government. And usually uh, it's one way or the other, right? Some people are in massive amounts of debt. Some people have a lot of money. Either way, it is just a debt-based contract. And so what cryptocurrency has said is that I don't have to have that contract be have a middleman. Because once I hand that money over to you, now I have this $5 that was given to me from my government. If I give that dollars to you and you give me an item back in exchange, you expect to be able to use that money, go to a bank, you know, put it into your bank account, buy something else with it. You have that level of expectation with your money. And that is because the government has fully backed and given you the right to believe so. Uh, when yeah, you're, that's, you're why, that's why Greece blew up in 2012. Exactly. So when the government stops to, in that regard, when the government stops uh, being able to provide you a backing for that. That's why you see some of the currencies that we look at Turkey in the uh, past couple of weeks, their currency has uh, ballooned by 20% or 20x the US dollar. And that's because the people lost faith in the government and they didn't have the money to back it. Uh, usually those things are backed in United States dollars. We have the most uh, stable currency in the entire world. Everyone uses it to exchange inside of our money. So Everyone is trusting of the United States government's money in the way that they issued it. What cryptocurrency says is that we don't need them to issue money to us. Money is historically was created out of war. So money was said when, it, when soldiers uh, in the very early uh, like ancient times of money, money was created by soldiers would go in and you would uh, take over a country and then you would liberate them. And the king would say, okay, we have come in and taken the, your land. Uh, however, here is money and we will take care of you for it. So the, the common people, yes, they might, they've slaughtered X, Y, or Z, this and that. But now as they try to take the people and make them uh, integrated into their own society, they give them this money that they can exchange with the soldiers. And so what we said in cryptocurrency or what moreover Satoshi Nakamoto did in 2009 was that we can prove that people have money and can exchange it with each other and give them that sense of uh, backing that they're used to from the government without it being tied to or controlled by them because it is always typically tied to war. And so it is kind of like an anti-war, anti-government movement that we can all be responsible fiscally together, where it ran into issues early on and people think that it's fake is uh, money issued by the government has been the only thing people have had ever in the whole entire history of money. So then when we came around and said, hey, here's this thing that you can use. It's just like the US dollar, except you don't need anyone to prove to you that it's backed. It's backed by, instead of a government's word, it's backed by the contracts that are written with uh, cryptography. And it proves something. So with Bitcoin, it was proof of work. 
a machine or computer did a bunch of math and proved that this person had this amount of money mathematically. And then it told everybody else and they all agreed on it. And so if everyone in the world agrees on a consensus-based protocol is what it is, if everyone has a consensus in the world, then you can move forward without needing to have an intermediary. So is this, would you say this is similar to like in the United States in the 1970s when they completely dropped the gold standard and just went to, in God we trust on our money, basically saying that the money is just, the US says it's a dollar, so it's a dollar, it's a dollar, but there's no piece of gold behind it. You can't go to the bank and say, give me a dollar's worth of gold like you used to back in the olden days. Yes. Uh, so people will often confuse it first when they start to get the notion of that Bitcoin is like gold. It's a finite resource, just like gold is. Um, and what gold's difference is, is that it actually was money for a long time. So early yes. gold is Bitcoin. Those two are equivalent in uh, like the way that you could look at them. The way that gold backs the, U the United States dollar is slightly different. But yes, the well, dollar did, having a gold anymore. backing. Right, it did. Sorry, but the, the dollar having a gold backing would have been a better argument uh, for people that are in the crypto space as to why the dollar is actually a piece of currency that we want to use. We're all nervous that if they control our money, then what happens if they don't have enough? We see the rest of the world is having these issues. We also are, uh, when you look at how I have Bitcoin, you have Bitcoin, someone over in China has Bitcoin, someone in another country has it, we officially don't need to exchange fiat currencies for these uh, other fiat currencies. And then we don't need to pay the large amounts of fees in order to do so when we all have the same money. Because we all, in a philosophical sense, we're all people just trying to exchange goods for services. Okay. So then right. when, you when you take that and you apply it to a, um, something like, how do I, so now I have a good, right? Or I have this money, let's say, that I say everyone was on Bitcoin. How do I prove with this Bitcoin that I have something that you told me that you sold to me? Uh, for example, if I pay someone with cash for anything, there's no proof of that purchase, no proof of that transaction, but it's the most secure form of payment for a lot of people. Uh, in spaces such as cannabis or things of this nature that might've been you know, more illicit, or if you look back in like, uh, the 1960s, 1970s in Albania, even getting fine paper was something that you couldn't do uh, because of the uh, because of the Soviet Union. So if they mm -hmm. wanted to get paper and purchase it, they had to do so underground. But they deserved the ability to to purchase it, and so it's a firm belief that everyone has that right to do that uh, and uh, exchange in that way without the government uh, regulating or putting onto you. Uh, uh, putting rules on the, how what money is and how I have money and how money is issued to people. Okay, so we hear in the crypto space, you hear about Bitcoin, Ethereum, all of these other, all these other words that, from what I understand, are 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 Bitcoin, but it's not. They're are they just like different companies, or are they are they like are they all the same thing? Like if 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 I invest a thousand U.S. dollars in Ethereum, would I be able to like would I be able to exchange with the somebody who owns everything in Bitcoin? Like, does it does it go together? Sure. So the first cryptocurrency was made in two thousand and nine by a person who went by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto, which uh, and he created or they created Bitcoin, which is a 
proof of work system, what that means to us in normal speak is a bunch of people were running down or were running a race together. They were doing a hundred yard dash. And the first person that crossed the line, we all know they crossed the line because we put the line on the ground. They crossed it first and when they were running that race in 10 seconds, next guy did it in 10.5. He wins that he wins that tournament and then we move forward and we keep doing those kinds of races. We're proving someone worked and won a race against somebody else. Uh, that system, what that does for people is it simply proves uh, that a transaction happened. The race was to uh, the race was to prove that a bunch of transactions called a block happened all in one segment. When they do that, they win a reward. Another, and that was made by Satoshi Nakamoto. A few years later, a young kid who was only about 22 years old at the time, he's actually the same age as me, uh, Vitalik Buterin, he believed that money didn't need to have that uh, like amount of work and that people uh, didn't, like, the, the problem with Bitcoin is a lot of people can't mine it in the very beginning. In the very beginning, before it was worth $60,000, uh, people could mine it like on their everyday computer and that's how you got Bitcoin. You couldn't go buy it from an exchange. And so Vitalik said, why don't we make it a different network entirely, a different system? What they all are at the end of the day are math problems. They're all just ways of solving math problems to prove that something happened, two things were exchanged with each other, and then they're all done separately. So think of it more like in any sort of theoretical computations or theoretical politics where you're just talking about the idea of what does it mean to have a government? What does it mean to have a society? These gentlemen were asking themselves, what does it mean to have money? What does it mean to exchange something with people? So they all are, they're all different. Um, a lot of these new to new things that, you know, there's so many of them out there, even I don't, I'm not able to keep up with them these days. But the original ones, Bitcoin and Ethereum, are probably the two figureheads that being different from each other. Uh, nowadays, the proof of work system, as I described, is what Bitcoin does. And then Ethereum does what's called proof of staking. So people with large amounts of Ethereum are the ones who determine uh, if blocks are completed. You make a transaction with somebody, and then one of these rich people will say, yes, you know, they had the money to do that. And I am putting my word on that for you. Whether or not either one is more appropriate or going into the details of them, uh, I'll gladly do so, uh, is I guess irrelevant to the fact of really the definition of crypto and what, we're, what you want to get across with people is that while they're all different, uh, it, is a group, it is a community of people that want to see money be put back in the people's hands. And so if you can't exchange two things, you can find somebody who's working on a project that will help them be exchanged between two different tokens or something of that nature. But they are all well, different. No one owns them. The... Okay. No one owns them. Uh, they're open sourced and owned by the communities. There are foundations that are built across the world to help maintain the network. So these foundations will hire engineers to uh, contribute to the code for these things. Uh, but no one owns it. Uh, you can't own it at, 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 in that regard. Okay, but here's here's a question. As a, as a real person, I own. Let's let's pretend I don't actually, but let's pretend I own what is equivalent to sixty thousand U.S. dollars in Bitcoin. Let's let's just use Bitcoin. Yeah, you have and, one Bitcoin. Okay, cool. I own one whole Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Now I want to take my Bitcoin, and I want. And oh my God, my car breaks down. Mm -hmm. Can I can I use part of my Bitcoin to 
buy a new car or fix my car or something like that? Uh, yes, of course you could. Um, how easy it is in order for that to be processed with somebody that you don't know is currently where we're at in the crypto space. But just like you wouldn't really want to hand that person a wad of cash right now because there's no real way to have a like a receipt and you're a little nervous of it. That's how you are. Everyone's thinking. Yeah, of you would use a credit right card. Now. You would use a credit card. In the 1970s, if I said to somebody the same thing about a credit card, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go use my credit card to purchase a vehicle, they would look at you like you're insane, just as they are today yes. with cryptocurrencies. It is much, it is none too different. It is just very young. But I can, if you have Bitcoin, I have Bitcoin, and I want to buy, or you, uh, you can fix my car, and you will accept the Bitcoin from my wallet. Sure, absolutely. I will, I can pay Bitcoin to you. And then the uh, burden of showing the uh, U.S. government or whoever when you're doing your taxations, uh, that burden is now put on to you because that transaction was done outside of their system of uh, financial, uh, their financial institution. Yeah, I definitely saw on my taxes this past year, they're starting to ask questions about Bitcoin on taxes nowadays. Mm-hmm. And my and I'm like, I'm glad I'm, I was like, I'm glad I, I, I'm not a tax attorney who has no idea what to do with Bitcoin yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, so when it comes to with, the, with that type of stuff, do you, um, it's a big issue for a lot of like tax attorneys, uh, law and stuff is just like now starting to get involved in cryptocurrency ever since about a few years ago in 2017 when the price of it really blew up. Um, before that, it was like the, it was all just like cash in the wild west. Uh, but, you know, to find someone before then that had also cryptocurrency that you could exchange with was a difficult task to do. But there's like a running joke on the website called Bitcoin Talk that the first item I ever purchased of, that you described was a piece, was a pizza. A guy bought a pizza from a delivery guy for one Bitcoin at the time, which was like, we all thought was crazy because that was worth like two cents, like not two cents, but like a couple of dollars. We were like, oh, okay. And now it's, we look at it, looking back on it and it's like, oh, wow, he paid $60,000 for a pizza and counting. Um, but no, the reason why the bet, oh, go ahead. No, I, I was, it just made me think about, um, I watched the vlog brothers on, on YouTube and Hank Green was talking about how back in 2012, a fan of theirs sent, sent them one, one Bitcoin. And he was like, oh, well, this is dumb. And he's like, I, he's like, I think I deleted the email and I have no proof of this. Yep. And he's, if like, you, he's like, I, I was like, I lost a $60,000 or whatever it was worth. Maybe even at the time it was a hundred. Yeah. yeah. It's worth $60,000 now. I've got a couple of those. Like when, when I first got into it in Dallas, Texas with my uh, business partner at the time, we just like set up a mining rig, built, uh, we're like, what is this? Like we were looking into it. We were interested. We mined a couple of Bitcoin at $12 at the time. And boy, do I wish that I, I still have the hard drive. I won't get rid of it, but it definitely has a lot of water damage from like just the years of whatever. Uh, we didn't know at the time, like we were just using those computers normally, but that's one of the dangerous things about cryptocurrency that people uh, don't quite understand as well. They get scared of the fact that when you hear, oh, you can lose all of your money, you can lose your wallet or something like this, you are responsible for it. I have a safe in my house that has my, uh, the, there is a line of 12 words that you use, or there's also a, uh, I believe it's 256 character long, like um, 
it's called a hash, so it's a string of characters. And you are the only person in the world that has those two things together. If you lose them, then you can't log in because no one owns or there's no one to go to to say, hey, can I have this back? There's no one to say, hey, can you get me into my account? Uh, because if you think about how that works with banks, what you're really saying is uh, to them, hey, uh, can I have access to your money that you said you would promise me? Can I have that access to your money? And so if you're irresponsible with your money and lose it in an exchange or whatever uh, to somebody or you send it to the wrong address, that is, that is people's faults. So there are people that are starting to build systems to try and help mitigate that situation. Um, because that was a problem in 2017 where people were making these projects that looked like they were so great. They were going to change the world with crypto. And they would do this thing called an ICO at the time, an initial coin offering. Imagine it as like an initial public offering, but the investors are not accredited and they're not on a stock exchange. They are just random people on the internet who have a good idea. We're making 20, 30 million dollars and then vanished without a trace. And that's when we saw the first bubble really burst and Bitcoin went from $17,000 to $3,000 in 2018. Still sounds like a hell of a lot of money to me. Yeah, it is a lot of money. Um, the thing that people need to understand is that earlier you had mentioned that cryptocurrency, I would invest my cryptocurrency or my money, my dollars into cryptocurrency as an investment. Uh, to me, Cryptocurrency is not an investment. It is more like an exchange between the dollar and the British pound. Just the value of the Bitcoin has been going up compared to the dollar of the value, or well, the value of the dollar. Uh, as my, sorry, my dog just kind of, yeah, my dog just kind of knocked on my door. Um, but as you see with the US dollar as recently as well, um, it's starting to lose a lot of its uh, glory. Uh, the, Lack of the gold standard uh, and the full faith in the full faith. What is it? The full faith in something in the United States government is not uh, the same as it used to be. I forget what the exact that exact term is. Um, and so uh, I believe it was Venezuela, Turkey, and what I would uh, what I believe. I'll just start with this. I do know where I was. Um, so the United States dollar uh, has always been the strongest currency in the world, and it still is today the strongest form of money that people have. You can go anywhere in the world, and if you have U.S. dollars, they'll typically accept your U.S. dollars like at normal shops. Like if I go to downtown, if I go to Bangkok in the middle of this, the roads and I want to get street food and I hand that woman a dollar bill, she might hand me her entire cart of food because their, their uh, currency is 90 to 1, I believe, something of astronomical value and proportion. And they're also, uh, their standard of living is much lower than it is in the United States. So a dollar to them is a lot more valuable. It's valuable everywhere in the world. To such an extent, people will accept it, except in places where it has crashed and it started to crash in many, in, in many more places, the more and more as society connects overall on the internet. And the most recent of ones, Venezuela and Turkey, I believe, are the two countries that did this. And they both had issues with their dollar values, the US dollar. The country of Turkey purchased 100 Bitcoin invested the remaining amount of money that they had into Bitcoin only about a week ago or so. And the reason they did this was they changed their reserve currency. They're one of the first countries to do this. So when you ask, can I go and get my car fixed with Bitcoin? Yes, I can. But until Bitcoin or something else, any currency takes the US dollar
first place as the world reserve currency and everyone in the world ubiquitously agrees upon the price point of Bitcoin. You will see it compared to the dollar continue to rise in value, which makes it appear as an investment tool. But it is not, they are modes of exchange. They are things that I should be using to transfer to other people for their goods or their services. Okay, so let's so let's let's move move on to NFTs because NFTs seem to be the the new hotness, so to say. So, what is what is an NFT? An NFT is a non fungible token. What does fungible mean? Is probably yeah, a lot that's of a fun word. That's a fun word. Fungibility. A Bitcoin or a US dollar is a fungible item. It is something that uh, I can make more of or I can exchange for something else. It is not like a singular unit of item. Money is fungible. However, mm -hmm. a non-fungible item would be something like your phone, your t-shirt, an item, a physical piece of property that you own and nobody else owns. It is non-fungible, non-reproducible. There is no additional versions of it. There are many like it, but this one is yours. Uh, right, yours has that little tear in it. Yours has that little dip in it. You know your T-shirt from somebody else's in that regards. They're all slightly different. And that is what an NFT token represents on the internet, is a piece of internet or piece of code that is very unique to just that one piece of code. Okay. If, if you take a look at like trading card games, uh, for example, so if you play, uh, if anyone in your audience knows what Magic the Gathering is, or if they don't, just think of any card game that your son or daughter might play. Um, many people might have the same of these cards, uh, but at the end of the day, one person has one, one person has another, and we all use them to play with each other. But I own my 60 pieces of paper that's in that deck. They own their 60 pieces of paper, and they were printed in different orders. So even though we have the same card, they were printed on the same sheet of paper. Mine was number two on the piece of paper that was printed. There was three, and that's how an NFT token works or looks like. Think of reproduce, reproductions of a painting is another example. So if you pick a painting like Starry Night and someone has the Starry Night up in their room, like a copy of that Starry Night, you know that that is a uh, copy of the Starry Night, that it's not the one that's in the museum right now, uh, but it is also a unique copy of it because they have, they're the only person that has that piece of canvas on their wall. An NFT token determines to somebody that that is their piece of copy canvas of the Starry Night. They don't own the, that's not the real Starry Night uh, painting. That is just a copy of it. And it is this particular copy of it is what an NFT token does in digital, in uh, a digital realm. If you think of your website, your domain name, thesexypolitico.com, that could be considered an NFT token because you own it and nobody else does. This one is yours. People have many like it. There might be the sexypolitico.net. There might be, uh, you might make a subdomain that is mrsyap.thesexypolitico.com, but in the original uh, domain of it, thesexypolitico.com is yours and you own it and you can prove it. An NFT token, it does that same thing. How you prove that today is a different way. There's a central governing body that to proves that you own it when you say I own this and you say I can prove it, you're asking them to prove it for you. In NFT tokens, you would say, here's my NFT token for the sexypolitico.com. And everyone knows that you own it. So 
unlike Bitcoin, where you could accidentally delete the email that has all the information about the Bitcoin, you're not, you can't accidentally, you can't accidentally lose your NFTs in the same way. Uh, so in the same way you can, because an mm -hmm. NFT token uh, it goes into what's called your wallet. In cryptocurrency, we all have wallets and they are like the wallet that is sitting in your looking for mine i don't know where it is but uh it's like the wallet that you i i like to compare them more to uh used to compare them to men's wallets specifically they have their credit cards they have their cash in there and that's about it in today's society with nfts getting in, implemented i now consider them more like a woman's purse when they have many of things in their purse they might have that they bring with them all around it's a bigger wallet uh, but they have all of these things inside of it that are different you have your money still and you also have your items in your purse if you pick one of those items in your purse that isn't money, that is an NFT token inside of your wallet. If you lose your whole entire purse, then yes, you've lost your NFT tokens, uh, but you're much less likely to do that when you have such a big purse. You don't see nearly as many women who are like, well, where's my purse? Where's my purse? As you do men who wander around their house wondering where their wallet is. You don't hang out with women too often, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that, uh, I would say that I lived with women for eight years. Uh, that I've been in two long-term relationships that uh, had women involved, but they I'm, always I'm knew what the first was. Oh, uh, yeah. nah. Maybe, 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 maybe it's life. a maybe it's a pregnant person thing where I'm constantly <laughs> where the is my purse? I guess the uh, point that or the uh, the comparison I was making there was like that it's bigger and it's it's sturdier it's usually hung up like it's in a, it's it's harder to lose a literal physical object that is bigger than a man's wallet you might lose the little purse inside that has your money in it or you might misplace your purse but when you go searching versus say your husband goes searching for his wallet if you both really lost him his could get stuck in the couch if you have a bag that's a purse your bag that's a purse can't get stuck in the couch cushions and no, that's kind of the same unless, way that you not unless your toddler has some fun if, if your toddler's having some fun and we compare that with NFT tokens, then uh, your toddler's uh, playing around with uh, some dangerous fire there. But yeah, if, even then, like yeah. if your toddler gets a hold of your uh, your purse, you know, that's still dangerous fire, right? <laughs> you know, and that's still not something you'd want him to get a hold of. Oh, God. But so purses have class, purses have class, purses have um, some often have mace inside of them, like stuff like mace to protect you as the uh, as the individual when you're walking around like you have things that are tools and utensils that you use throughout your daily trip where men have to go to the uh, people that uh have smaller wallets that get stuck in their back pocket only use them for the one thing don't really think about them the rest of the day and it's not a tool that they use all the time throughout the day that they utilize and can reach into and access and that's what an NFT token has really given us the ability to do is have that versatility of a large purse, of that large bag that I can now carry around with me uh, and I can protect it better. I can use it better. So yes, Bitcoin doesn't have our, I, I mean, yes, you can lose it like Bitcoin, but it's a lot harder to lose it. And it's a lot, uh, and it's something you don't want to lose nearly as much. Like if I don't have my wallet, I can still go do things. Like I might not be able to buy, pay for something, but I can still like go out and about and carry on with my day. If I lose my purse or my backpack, I lose a lot more than just the money inside of my wallet. I lose things yeah. that are valuable to me on a daily IDs, basis. IDs, mm -hmm. insurance cards, fun, fun grown-up things like that. Or your bait, or if you take your baby bag with you somewhere and you lose your baby bag, you lose, you've lost your 
child's diapers for the day, their, their milk bottle, which is extremely important. They're the things Listen. that, uh, you know, you and keep that into. None of that shit is cheap. And none of that shit is cheap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But so, so let's, so let's think about an NFT. Now, I have heard on the internet and on other social media things, companies selling parts of clips of old shows or old movies as NFTs, things of that nature. So for example, WWE was selling clips of the Mick Foley Undertaker. I think it's I think it's SummerSlam match, the the that famous yeah, scene the, if you're a WWE match, fan right? with that cage match of the Undertaker on top of that on top of the cage with Mick Foley, and that they literally selling selling bits and pieces of that as NFTs. But WWE is still allowed to show that match in its entirety and it doesn't so are they paying the men or women who are buying each of those clips every time they show that match or like how does that how does that work sure that's a good question um when you look at the film industry uh people own in particular uh the rights to these things that have been filmed and clipped right so mm -hmm. usually disney owns this movie or with the wwe i'm not sure who owns like the network or whatever but when they film the actual product who owns the rights to the film, that would be them. So they yes. sold off the rights to that film, to that person. So they did, in fact, give a portion of like that particular clip, they sold the rights to that person. The agreement they have with that person to exchange, uh, I see your cat's tail there in the background. Uh, yep. the, uh, the, the uh, rights to own that, sorry, let me restart that one real quick. Uh, so the WWE gave the rights to the NFT token to this person in exchange for uh, cryptocurrency. So now they have an NFT that proves they own the legal license for this film or for this. Yeah, part, they were selling. They were literally selling like one, like one, one square of of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably one frame of the. Yeah, of, that's the word frame. Yeah. So yeah. each person owns a different frame. Collectively, they all make up the uh, particular piece of film. Now. Yes their agreement that they have with those people to use that frame in that film uh, is between them and that person. And what, what we do is we assume that if they show that to somebody, they've gotten the legal license to it. If they didn't, then that person now has a, a digital representation of a contract that they signed with the WWE to give them that portion of the film. They do not have one that says that they agreed to let them license it and they could sue for someone using their licensed property. They sold it to them. They own it. They probably had in their contract when they sold it, the, like, the right to continue to show it to people and licensed it from them. But that entire match now are, is owned in pieces by many different people that they have the license to use them and an agreement to use them. So there's not like some sort of like scissors where they like cut up that frame and then mailed it to Johnny in Oklahoma and then cut they, and they, mailed it to Susie and Susie in Alabama they very well could have that could also be what they've done I assumed that it was like the uh the film like they filmed the entire match so now frame by frame uh they went through and they said okay this frame here somebody owns this one here somebody owns I don't know when this match was recorded if it was recorded on hard film in the 90s I would, 
I don't know. Late nineties was when things started to change between digital yeah. and analog. Um, yeah. If you if it was done on analog film, then they should have received that analog piece of film back to them. What I would have expected to receive is the raw file for like the the um, the match, or at, at the very least, the license to use that uh, film. Just uh, I don't have to as the a person who is a large corporation that owns the copyrights of any particular item, I don't necessarily have that item or the right like with me all the time. Uh, it might be in the home office, it might be somewhere else, but I still am the person you have to contact to license and use it. And so they so, might even have said in their contract, we'll keep the film because I, I would, if I was the WWE, I'd want to keep the film with us, like the hard film so we could replay our show. Uh, but when they have to go and use that film anywhere probably outside of the WWE network, they want to replay it or something like that. Uh, they would have to ask all of their NFT token holders if they don't have an agreement with them. But it's between them and a token holder on that frame. And if they don't, I wouldn't be surprised if at any point in time, someone was like, you can't use my frame. And you're watching the WWE <laughs> match between the two of them. And it, it's one frame, so you wouldn't notice that much. It was very smart of the WWE to do it this way. But that could be an issue that they, they come into because they're the token holder. Yeah, if it's the person who has uh, who gets pin number, th you know, hit number three in the pin or something like that, that would be that would be an hilarious. issue. Uh, it, it would, would be, be an issue too. for them, that but it would be hilarious because they made a decision to sell like that. Um, a lot of people are using these to make a lot of money, and they don't might not really realize what they're really selling. The weekend, a famous musician recently released. Um, uh, unreleased clips of his music. And he has no idea that he now can't really use that music without that person giving the exclusive rights to him to use it. He no longer owns the piece of art that he made. So he's not as smart as Taylor Swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift's a great, I mean, very smart businesswoman. Uh, yeah. I don't know what she's been doing in the NFT uh, realm. Well, she's not doing anything in the, as far as I know, She's not, but she, the big, the smartest thing she did was she kept the rights to, she kept the rights to her, the music that she wrote so that when they sold the, the master recording, she could just re-record it because she had enough money to do so. And she's yes, making exactly. a bank. Exactly. So that is how the NFTs are actually, act, uh, NFTs are right now a lot like Taylor Swift's music when it first came out in the late 2000s. It was worth a lot of money then because everyone liked Taylor Swift, but she knew it would be worth a lot of, a lot of money later on and she kept the rights to it. NFT tokens are NFT tokens are the rights to something. They're the legal contract that no one else owns. If it's a painting, if it's a even if it's digital art, you know, you go on and you see on OpenSea, which is the largest place, uh, it's like the eBay of NFT tokens, OpenSea.io is. You go on there and you can buy an NFT token of a digital photo of your cat, right? Uh, if you took a photo of Lucy and you put her onto OpenSea and you sold that photo of Lucy, you're not selling your cat, but you are selling the rights to the photo of that cat. So you wouldn't own that photo anymore. Now that you have a copy of that photo on your phone, sure, but you don't own the rights to that photo uh, on the internet. I, the discrepancy I right now- couldn't put it on Instagram or something like that. And Correct. NBA. Right. You'd be, yeah. Yes, you would be copyright infringing on the person's uh, legal property. The gray area right now, of course, is because we didn't have NFTs before in our lives. And now we do. You know, I, I still have the original photo of Lucy that I took. Right. And people will get confused about that. Um, mm -hmm. at, it is getting more and more 
uh, closer to people being able to understand that that's the old way of things, that that's the way that things were when we had to make handshake agreements with our mouths and voices or had to make legal contracts in debt to large corporations that you don't know how to read, right? When you make any sort of contract with anybody for a car, you go and buy your first car, you don't own your car at first, the bank owns your car and you took out a loan off of it. And who knows how to read those things besides lawyers half the time, right? Mm -hmm. An NFT token would have said, this is the NFT token for this car and the contract for the car. So the NFT token that was the contract for the rights to the car would have gone to the bank. We all would have noticed and recognized that. And then they would have licensed the NFT token to you until you paid for it in full. So could I make, could I make my own NFTs? Yes, you can make NFT tokens, absolutely. The Sexy Politico has existed for, has existed for over 10 years. We've, with branding and brand name recognition, could I just NFTify old YouTube clips or whatever, whatever? I don't know anybody who'd want to buy it, but you know. You would be surprised on what people want to buy. Most recently, there was a, uh, a girl who was like 18, 19 years old, and she took a photo and like, she was the first person to do this, like with a photo of someone real. She just took a photo of herself sitting in front of a mirror. That NFT token sold for $28 million. It's the first photo of someone that was turned into an NFT. So you could do it. Um, I'm not sure what it would sell for, probably more than it's actually worth as the value does like is, is really inflated right now. And everyone's hyped about these NFT tokens as they continue to go on the rise, uh, but it will level out, uh, but yes, Eventually, clips on the YouTube will be NFT tokens. Uh, absolutely, um, I think that I've heard, how I've heard the PewDiePie is looking into into doing that. Um, probably, I mean, mostly you see people that are like large influencers that are starting to do these kinds of things to make more money. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a startup company called Gamer Ammo, and we were trying to find ways to build in the crypto space uh, for gamers to make money. It's very hard for someone who doesn't spend 18 to 24 hours a day, literally in front of their screen, playing video games to make money. If you're not a professional right. at it, a like serious professional, you can't play Farmville and earn money, Where, which is a shame because 51% of the population of gamers are females over the age of 35. Yes. Uh, so that's I'm absolutely 51% of, of gamers are female, the majority of which are over the age of 35. So when you look yeah, at yeah, but they're they, playing things. They're playing things like Candy Crush and and stuff like that. Correct. And so NFT tokens are, in a way, the ability for those types of people to make money off of. Uh, and how PewDiePie can also continue to make even more money. He can sell his clips for large portions of money. But uh, NFT tokens enable smaller community and smaller uh, people to earn money in a little bit of a way or earn items inside of their game that have actual real world value to them. How much would you like to be able to take an item out of Farmville and exchange that in for the United States dollar token and then be able to turn that into US actual dollars? This is something that can feasibly happen in today's society. There are video games that have turned their items and their money and their games into actual money. Is this, so, where, is this like what my husband's talking about with, I think World of Warcraft where people are, actually selling like their hammers and and mm -hmm. things on things with real money yes 
uh, when I, this, I did this too, when I was a kid, it was in RuneScape. I would ask my mom and dad for $50 to go buy a million RuneScape gold so that I could get this item. Uh, so I paid $50 for a million RuneScape gold. There was, if I got scammed or something by the website, that shady website that I shouldn't have gone to and gave my parents' credit card information to, uh, if they scammed me or them, you know, you're out of luck if, uh, and the people that own those games are typically not very uh, kind to people who do that because they're diluting the value of their in-game currency. They're starting to make a marketplace and make money off of the software that they made, the video game that they made. And so you would get banned for doing those types of things. I'm going to assume it's the same in World of Warcraft. Gaming companies in general have been, have known for a long time about like that something like this was going to come where people would be able to have a secondary market for the items inside of their games. We can do it with trading card games already because those are physical pieces of paper that we own. But yes, it is where if I'm in World of Warcraft and I have a hammer and I wanted to sell it to somebody, I would go onto a shady website or maybe they're not as shady anymore. But back in my day, there were shady websites that you would go and you'd say, oh, I have this hammer and I want to sell it or, or I'm looking for this hammer and somebody like, okay, I'll give it to you for a hundred bucks. Why don't you just PayPal it to me? Then you'd send them a hundred dollars on PayPal and you would, they were supposed to be a trust there. And that key, that's a keyword, a trust that they would go into the game and trade with you that item. So people would often sit with their trade windows open, like put the hammer into my trade window and then I'll send the money on PayPal and you click OK. But and if they hit cancel, they had the money and they had the hammer. And this was this would happen a lot for scamming for people to little kids in particular. They would go and try and buy this item off of some forum website and some older guy who lived in his mom's basement would scam the shit out of these little kids for lots of money. And an NFT token would remove that uh, barrier to entry for like getting items with real world currency. Gaming companies don't particularly like the idea of this because, for instance, Riot Points, which is League of Legends, uh, Dungeons and no, not Dungeons and Dragons. League of Legends. Uh, League of Legends is their large. Runeterra is another one of their games. Uh, you buy Riot Points at a set price, and then they set those prices to skin values, which a skin is just the way your character looks, clothes that your character yes. can wear in the game. And they have that whole market economy uh, controlled. Uh, very controlled in their environment. If they were to allow NFT tokens to be in, in these games, these people could exchange out their uh, skins that they've purchased of these different characters or the riot points that they have uh, to other people and create and start to determine the value of what a riot point really is as a community. Uh, so ga the gaming industry is none to, uh, uh, they're, they're not interested in letting their, the people that pay them to play their game control how much they're paying them. They're not interested in people moving uh, out of not making any money off of items getting traded and sold in the background. If you look at Wizards of the Coast, again, Magic the Gathering, Wizards of the Coast does not make a whole bunch of money off of Magic cards. They print their cards and then they sell them for a set price of $4.99 per pack. And then I rip it open and I might find a card in there that's worth $100. And 10 years from now, that card's worth $1,000 and we're out here trading them for large amounts of money. The Wizards of the Coast gets zero of that money in the secondary marketplace. With NFT tokens, they do not. They, they get a 1% transaction fee every time that token was ever moved. So it is starting to be a way like that they would make money off of these secondary trades. Uh, and it's companies like Wizards of the Coast that 
are probably going to be introducing themselves into it first. And that's why you see them the most on these websites like OpenSeas. That could explain the way, that could explain why The Sims is uh, bringing in modders to, to help make their, make their packs and skins, trying to, trying to prevent the secondary market from exploding with NFTs, yes. with, with no clothes one and hair and things like that correct. with The Sims. Yes, uh, Wizards also is one of the very first big gaming companies. Like they, they made the first trading card game ever. Uh, so they weren't really aware of how to handle their own market. And so now they're, they struggle sometimes to make the amount of money that they need to produce and handle the amount of players that they have playing the game. Because people assume magic cards are worth a lot of money. Wizards Ooh. is worth a lot of money. And that's not true. But it is true, true. for people like EA Sports who own The Sims, uh, Riot Games who owns League of Legends, and these people, because they learned the mistakes that Wizards and those young, those early gaming companies made. And we as a community uh, in the crypto space, what we're able to do with an NFT token is say this hammer is an NFT token in this game. In this game over here, I have, I'm playing Farmville, I don't know, and I have a tractor, but my son wants that hammer that you have in that game. I give you this tractor for that hammer, and now you own that hammer in a different wallet. You never turned on their game. You never downloaded their game. You never played their game because you're just a mom who plays Farmville. You can give your son this game, this hammer in World of Warcraft without ever touching World of Warcraft. And they don't like the idea that you can move their stuff, that you could be able to do that. Uh, but we would argue that that's how it should be in the first place. Because if I bought a real hammer and had a real tractor and I traded them, then it's just how it is. Even if one's from John Deere and one's from, I don't know, DeWalt. <laughs> All right. So... How do I, as how do I, as somebody who's not as seasoned as you are, make sure I find trustworthy sources of Bitcoin NFTs or like how do I make sure that I'm not going to get completely screwed? It's a really great question. Um, so when you think about it, um, if you were to loan somebody money, right, uh, loan a friend of money or loan a, any individual, remove the word friend, any individual money. Why would you loan them or why not would you loan them money? If you're not a bank, you know, they're just say, hey, can I borrow a thousand dollars? What determining factors would you make in your brain to loan them that money or not? Similarly, um, yeah, go ahead and answer the question. Like what were those factors? I believe, uh, believe that they can pay me back. Um, trustworthiness in the, maybe trustworthy in the, trustworthiness in the past or the relationship that I have with, with that person. Okay. Now, if that person is tertiary to you or secondary to you, so say it's somebody that your husband knows that you don't quite know, what would make you give a loan that person money? Say it's your husband's best friend from high school that you didn't know, like that you don't know as well, right? Uh, maybe do now, but say it's the beginning of your marriage and the man asked you guys for a thousand dollars and you didn't uh, know him very well, you would trust him because your, I trust your husband, husband said to, yeah. yes. And that's how I tell people to, when it comes to purchasing NFT tokens or purchasing cryptocurrency is ask your friends who are in crypto where they would go and point in that direction. If you are not sure about who, or ask or Gary Vee, if you trust Gary Vee on what he says, then you should listen to Gary Vee and go to the places that he goes to. Because once you buy or sell uh, any sort of cryptocurrency, or NFT token, it's gone forever. Or you know you have made that you've made that 
point of sale with your fiat currency. Uh, so if I go and I purchase the, from a shady website and I just raise my head like this and I don't know and the person never gives me my money, my currency, even though I gave them $100, you lost your $100 uh, in, that, in that moment. Uh, so I tell people, tr like, trust nobody unless you actually trust them. I would trust my family, my friends, um, and the people that are around them that they trust. Uh, but you need to get them those resources from your community. And that's really what the entire industry is about, is taking things back from looking at major news outlets or major like big conglomerates as someone that you can trust with telling you like how, like this money is legitimate and putting it more in the hands of who are your closest neighbors and trusting them because you already you already inherently trust them. So if they are the ones who tell you, this is a good place to go, then I would recommend listening to that person. If you trust me and you trust the things that I say, listen to me, but it's always gotta be your decision on who do you trust? It's all, I said the word trust lots of times here. This is what a con these contracts are, they're contracts. They're called smart contracts uh, oftentimes. When I trade something, it's like a handwritten contract agreement, more like a handshake. Like, all right, here you go. And we shook hands on it and moved forward. So who would you shake so hands with? Especially in COVID. doesn't sleep in well. In a, in a jokingly way with COVID, you know, uh, who would you shake hands with? You would only shake hands with someone you know doesn't have a or has a vaccine that you were told by someone you trust has a vaccine. But if you don't know them really, they're not wearing a mask in public, they're a little nervous, they seem, or whatever, don't do it. Like at the end of the day, like make sure that you are getting information from people you trust. Let's just pretend. I, most people know somebody who knows a little bit about crypto, but let's just pretend like you know nobody. Do you have do you have lists of resources or websites that somebody could who somebody who's like I know nobody in crypto, but I've heard things. I want to do mm -hmm. some more research on my own. Do you have would you have a list of resources that we could uh, we could put into in the show notes for for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I will give my recommendations on that person. I prefaced that because if you uh, if you are looking at the industry in a whole, the people that you should look at as people that have a true voice in it, the first thing they say is never put any more money into it than you actually can lose. So if you have a thousand dollars and put that thousand in there, that's a poor decision because we know you still need fiat money. Uh, and also that you never put in more than you can lose and you never uh, send coins to somebody that you don't know, that you, like a wallet that you don't trust. So I preface that with, if you don't know me, if you don't know who I am, or if you're listening to this for the first time and you're just now learning about who Jackie is over here, uh, take these websites that I'm about to give into you into the show notes that you find down there and ask your friends who are in crypto, have they heard of them or do research on them? Look them up on the internet, learn about Vitalik Buren, learn about the gentlemen that are making uh, Uniswap and read, they all have their information out there because they want you to use their product, but learn to see if those are the kinds of people that you trust. Uh, with banks, they all, have, they all have hundreds and hundreds of years of customers and being in financial institutions in the world. This industry is very young. The very first financial institutes in America, think about how well that was made. It wasn't until we had the National Bank, I believe, uh, who was it? Was it Hamilton? Andrew Hamilton? Uh, Alexander it, Hamilton. Alex, yeah, sorry, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Alexander Somebody Hamilton. Somebody didn't watch Hamilton. <laughs> no, I did. I'm going to restate that. It wasn't until uh, Alexander Hamilton created the first like national bank here in the United States that we had a full faith accredited bank in the US 
during the time and then, that was and then Andrew Jackson destroyed it and it didn't come yes. back until the win until Woodrow Wilson was president and the re and the reason why it was chaos during those times was there was no form of value that people could use that they trusted to trade things between each other now yeah. on a philosophical people level would... I could take a large I could take a large amount of time explaining why those like feelings of debt are incorrect but I'll save that for you if you ever want to go look up who David Graeber is. He goes into this stuff in much more detail about debt to society in general. But it wasn't the debt mechanism that we would trust back then. And that after uh, Jackson, you said, Andrew Jackson? Yeah, think... Andrew Jackson didn't trust national banks and believed that, that goods and services should just be exchanged on a local level as opposed to having the national government involved. So, so I would agree with that, but I didn't, don't agree with him when he did that was that he had no way of proving goods were exchanged for services and that leads to chaos. Um, that, that leads to back in the olden days where three people would say that they own the same house. Exactly, and we're still running into this issue today. I had a phone call just the other day with someone who was asking me about how we could turn uh oh what's the kind of uh corporate contract it is between somebody who uh when someone goes to buy a home or a big building they have to go through and prove that no one else owns that building yes. there's a contract that's made that contract in determining that that contract was made and they definitely own that piece of land home is what he deals in on large on large scales and there's often somebody down the line that owned it at some time like more often than you would think that didn't know that they owned it and now they have this building that they're about to make a lot of money off of or that they can just like cancel the contract on and it's when you get that contract and get it signed it's a big deal in this in, in that industry um, a lot of a lot of issues coming about nowadays where people will own land where land but not own the building because some lawyer back in the day didn't make sure to sell the land and the building as separate in as separate entities or laws changed where they where they became separate separated depends on your state because as anybody who follows the sexy politico knows i don't love federalism can you for my audience define what federalism is federalism is where each state has has different laws for that's that's the bottom line. Each state has different laws, and then the federal government has its own set of laws. So you could be charged with one crime in the state of Hawaii, and that crime would have different would have different punishments, different would have different types of legal proceedings set set up. And then you could you could then still be charged with a federal crime on top of that because that's a different set. That's a different court, yes. and that's not double jeopardy. And you have state laws, you have federal laws. It's, I, I personally believe that if somebody breaks a law in California, that the same punishment should apply to somebody who breaks that same law in Massachusetts. So I agree with you. And I believe that it extends farther than just that. I believe that if someone breaks the law, a law in North Korea or Bangkok or in Barcelona, and they, or they break it in Manassas, Virginia, or they break it in uh, Maryland or in Michigan, that all of those people uh, should be punished in the same way, and that those laws should be ubiquitous throughout the entirety of the world, not just a federal level, not just a state level. Um, but however, I believe that 
the I do not need a federal government to be able to create and mandate those laws. Uh, we can do these things on ourselves as a collective society before the institution of war, uh, in particular, like collective controlled war uh, by the Ottoman Empire. This is how people would live. Their society, their collective groups would do this. They were all sparsed out from each other, but uh, each individual community had their own set of rules that they abide by, and then they they uh, followed through with them. And then the issue that we had was when those two communities would meet up together, they had different rules. They would go to war with each other. One would win, and then one would be stuck needing to integrate into one society. If those groups of people at the time had a mechanism of exchange or a mechanism to prove what like and agree with each other on that level, then we could all live in our own communities and have our own rules and work and still make those rules together as a community, just as a world community, rather than small communities. And it would not have the same effect that involves with war. You wouldn't have large nations of like the United States, which are really is really made up of 50 different nations put into one this uh, you wouldn't have but all nobody of realizes it. Yes, the United States is in fact United States. Um, yep. It's the equivalent to the European Union, just with like more control and regulating of over it. But I myself spent a great deal of time in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a good example of someone who is owned by the United States of America, a territory of the country, but are not a state in the United States of America in the way that the United States laws work there and function there are quite different. And then if they have their, they have it, they're an international port and deal with a lot of different countries for the importing of goods. And everyone that lives in Puerto Rico is slightly confused on what's going on. While I was there the last time in November, uh, I believe was when we like talked about this, like it was around my birthday last year when uh, I remember this conversation happening, uh, we asked a girl, during their election at the time, like, do you guys want to become a state of the United States or not? And everyone there was kind of like, it doesn't matter, we don't care, or they would be just the opposite and say, yes, we want to be a part of the United States, we want to be a part of a bigger collective. And I think that they're the problem that they're facing, that the whole world is facing, the NFTs uh, and contracts in general are the issue that the underlying issue is that they're both correct. They can both be a community and they can both be a part of a greater at, uh, thing, which would be the United States or which would be the world as a whole. Um, but they just don't like the laws of the particular place. They don't like the, the stipulations that come around to being part of the, the United States. But we're all humans. Uh, so I think that you're right. Uh, I think that it needs to extend farther than that in order for something to happen. And I think it needs to happen quite quickly. So last big question. It's it's the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Would you consider Bitcoin or NFTs a, a giftable item that you might give your, your more tech savvy friends? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that like, especially like NFTs, um, they're digital, they're mostly right now digital artwork. So digital representations of paintings and stuff like that. And it's, they're one of a kind, no matter what they are. I mean, like I said, you can have multiples, but think of like a one of five item, right? That is out there in the world. Uh, I have one of only five copies of this book printed. It's kind of like that right now. It's a collectible uh, that people can have and they can display are displayed on any website that brings up cryptocurrency like uh, viewers. Like if you went to OpenSea.io and 
typed in someone famous, I'm sure you could find their display of a collection. So if you want to do that for somebody, yeah, absolutely. It's a cool way to flex on your friends on the internet. You can be like, hey, look, I got this piece look, of artwork. Look, I gave Johnny Johnny this piece of artwork. And, and then Christmas. jokingly, uh, if someone's like, you didn't get me a present for Christmas last year. I know you didn't. You, like, um, you can go check out your uh, cryptocurrency wallet. You'll see the NFT token that I got you last year is in there. Unless you sold it. And then you can see if they sold it or not. So now we know if people are regifting. Ooh. <laughs> But yeah, well, if, if they're into if they're into cryptocurrency, sure, I think an NFT token would be a cool thing to give them. I wouldn't give anybody Bitcoin or Ethereum as a present unless you're locking it away for them as like a college scholarship or something, because that's money. If you're just gifting someone money straight up, that's not really a gift, right? You know, on Christmas, people buy gifts for people. I mean, if you give someone money for Christmas and that's what you do, then give them money. Usually people would give it like in the form of a gift card or they'll do something like they want to give them a gift, not just hand them dollars. It's kind of the tradition of gifts. So I've been told I'm not a huge gift giver. Uh, but uh, my, my grandma used to send me a $25 check before she passed away. But, that was, but she like, I don't know, she wrote the check out. So she took the effort to write a check. Like yeah. it was still like a little bit different. Uh, it's not really that different, but um so yeah, that's just the, I guess like what I was going with that is that that's just the, I guess, way you should know and feel about it. If you hand them Bitcoin or Ethereum, you're just handing them money. Uh, if you're handing them an NFT token, then you're giving them a gift, like an item as okay. a gift. Okay. Do you have, uh, do you have any websites where somebody could do, could look into that sort of thing if that's something they would want to want to do? Uh, yes. So Right now, the biggest website for um, exchanging of uh, NFT tokens that the majority of people are on these days is OpenSea.io. That's O-P-E-N-S-E-A dot I-O. In order to use this website, you have to have a crypto wallet already. And they use a particular a browser extension that you have to have on your computer browser. This browser is called MetaMask. MetaMask oh. is how people with a wallet can use their wallet to interact on websites. Think of it like your PayPal wallet, uh, but for cryptocurrency. And that is what MetaMask is. So in order to go to OpenSea, you have to have MetaMask. In order to use MetaMask and have money in your MetaMask, you have to send and fill your wallet with money. It looks yes. like a fox. It does look like a fox. So just, uh, just for anybody, it looks yes. like a fox if they're if you're looking for it on the i on the uh, Apple Store. I'm there's a, actually about to open. There is actually a website, a company that has been trying very hard for the first time in the history of the internet to make it so that people don't need to go and download a browser extension or some weird wallet. Because if I didn't know what MetaMask was, the guys who made MetaMask, I'd be like, why am I putting my money into some sort of wallet that? I, person that I don't know and I'd be a little sketched out by it into MetaMask is often the barrier to entry for a lot of people in this industry um yeah so honestly I I, there's, I look at MetaMask and I'm like I don't know what that so most people use Google Chrome as their web browser uh, there is a company that has taken Google Chrome and removed all of Google's uh tracking and built-in like advertising systems it's still Google Chrome you can use the Google web store it's called Chromium. Chromium is what Google Chrome is built off of. It's a base level of it. Uh, but they take all these trackers away. They're called the Brave browser. The Brave browser has built into it a cryptocurrency wallet. So all you would have to do is send money to the, your crypto wallet inside of Brave. 
you wouldn't have to have some browser extension or something like that built into it. And Brave is one of the most trusted website or web browsers in the world. They're literally Google Chrome without all the extra stuff. If you look at your computer, when you open up Google Chrome, like you're processing on how much it takes up on your computer's processes about power, Google Chrome is often the most uh, yep. resource dependent That's... item on your computer. That is so why the... I don't use it. <laughs> so they took the Google Chrome and they got rid of that part. I got rid of all that stuff. Most of that is the bloatware of Google tracking everything that you're doing and tracking uh, every movement, all of your cookies and hash and all this stuff. And Brave said, Chrome is pretty good if they would just stop trying to collect everyone's data and information. So I would recommend if you use Chrome, you don't want to download a new browser, then I would get to the MetaMask extension. Uh, but I would also highly recommend to people Brave when you install Brave. Uh, when you're on any website, I have it open right now, looking at it next to me here on the screen. There's just a little wallet right there that I can click and manage my cryptocurrencies. It's very easy to use and easy to handle. And especially if you haven't been around in this industry before, um, I would recommend either the MetaMask browser extension if you don't want to leave Google Chrome or Edge or Safari. But I would more so recommend a new web browser, which would be the Brave browser. And then you can start to go and visit these websites. And OpenSea.io is the one and only one. There are a couple more. There's rareables and stuff. But I would only go to OpenSea's first. That's the only one I'll recommend. If OpenSea points you somewhere else, like rareables or something like this, and you can trust OpenSea on people that they would point you to for NFT tokens. They are the leader in the exchange and the display of NFT tokens in the world right now. Uh, the other one that people should probably check out um, in terms of when it comes to swapping or owning money, like if I already have cryptocurrency, but I don't want to spend the astronomical amount of fees that it costs on Coinbase to swap from one token to another is the Uniswap website, which is how I can trade. Uh, uh, if I have one crypto and I want another one and I want to trade it at a very cheap rate, I would go to uniswap.com to do so. And then when it comes to exchanges in the United States, while I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that they do, uh, the easiest on-ramp for people is coinbase.com. Uh, for fiat, there are people who've never used it before. They're, um, you know, even my, my father has like gotten and used a Coinbase account before most people have it. I used to tell people, no, don't use Coinbase. But the goal really is like to get people into the industry and get people into looking at NFT tokens. All I would say is if you go and buy your coins off of Coinbase, you don't own them how I just described. Coinbase is like your bank now if you use Coinbase. So take it out of Coinbase as soon as you can. This is all I would say. Send it to your Brave browser. Put it into your MetaMask account. Uh, don't hold it on these hot exchanges that uh, you buy the money in fiat currency. If you're going to invest in cryptocurrency, stay for the long haul. Don't give yourself that opportunity because I don't know how many people I know, myself included, that have bought stuff off of an exchange like Coinbase before, got nervous about a price dip, and then sold it at a really low price, and now Bitcoin's at $60,000. Then these things will continue to go up. So I would recommend, if I was anybody, buy your things off of Coinbase because they're the easiest on-ramp for you, and then send your money to the Brave browser or to the MetaMask extension for whatever browser that you have, and utilize it that way while you're navigating websites. You'll own your own. you own your own money. Uh, you can. It, they have very good. Uh, they verify every transaction that you do. You make a decision to sell something or buy something. They'll be like, "Are you sure?" 
and then you can improve, you have to approve it twice. So they're, and they're, they are some of the oldest, most reliable systems out there. Okay. All right. So if, excuse me, we will leave all of Brandon's information in the show notes. If you have any additional questions, I will, I will be, be forwarding them to Brandon. And also we will be leaving all of Brandon's social media and, and any links that he feels that are important for you to know in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brandon. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to let everybody know when it comes to the crypto space, the people out here that are trying to talk with you guys and bring some more stuff into it, they want your questions. They don't feel stupid to come ask somebody what you might perceive as a dumb question about cryptocurrency or NFTs or something like that. The same way that uh, you have asked me questions today, ask them again if people still don't get them. If I didn't, if I wasn't clear today or if something you read wasn't clear, that was different than what I said. Let's talk about it. You can reach me on the links that Jackie has provided below. You can talk to Jackie as well. You can reach out to the people that are known trusted in the space and they will talk to you. The leaders of the, the crypto space, while they have multi-millions of dollars in coins, they're, they will talk to you on Twitter. They will talk to you on the internet because it's all about getting everybody involved. It doesn't work on a global scale unless we have you. So please join the community, come ask us questions and let's get into crypto together. Sounds great. Thank you so thank you so much for coming on to the Sexy Political podcast. We're we're so glad to learn something new, especially something so important and something that doesn't seem to it in 2014, when when Hannah Hart's talking about crypto on my drunk kitchen, it didn't feel like a real thing, but crypto is not going away. NFTs are not going away. Computers, that darn internet is not going away. And so we we all need to learn what, what's going on, especially when PayPal is trying to tell you to buy crypto off of PayPal, which... Yes. I uh, I, uh, there, someone's going to say something if they see this from PayPal. Do not buy your tokens off of PayPal or the Cash App. Do not buy cryptocurrency from these companies. They, you don't buy the crypto from them. They're just reserving their crypto to you, but they have every right and ownership of it. It's no different than just having your cash in your hand. Buy them from legitimate exchanges, hold on to them in wallets and stuff. There are devices that you can learn to use that people like myself will be glad to teach you guys how to use called a ledger wallet. And hold on to them in a different way than in those very scary, those are called hot wallets. Start buying them from those types of things and they're your, uh, they are supposed to act in a fiduciary way when they hold them, but please don't buy them from places like PayPal. It ruins the entire idea of what crypto is meant to be. It gives those people the control again as banks. Sorry, I know that we were ending your No, I understand. I understand. No. Uh, yeah, yes. I understand. Don't worry. But thank you. But thank you so much. And yeah. we will leave all the links in the show notes for you. And, and and any additional information or questions, Brandon is more than more than welcome and willing to answer. Um, honestly. If you ask me, I'm going to just forward them to Brandon because my knowledge base is as much as what you have. But thank you for coming on. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening to the Sexy Political Podcast. If you are interested in supporting the Sexy Political Podcast, we do have a Patreon. Our Patreon will be linked in the show notes below. You can also check us out on on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and every sort of social media. And of course, 
Don't forget the sexpolitico.com's website. Thank you for listening to us. We will probably see you again in January after I give birth because I deserve to have a, I deserve to have a break too. So yes, thank you enjoy for having your enjoy having your NFT token. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. So everybody who's listening, stay safe, stay sexy. Bye.